Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to Assistant Director of Player Development at the San Francisco Giants, Jeff Head. tune in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So really excited to get on someone else who works in the world of baseball. So Jeff is the Assistant Director of Play Development at the San Francisco Giants. And in this episode, we delve into his experience at the Giants coming from when they're actually setting up the department all the way through to his current position. So Jeff's done a lot of roles as we discuss in the podcast. Um, it's really interesting to see that development of strength and conditioning and sports science uh, in baseball at the Giants. So first off, we discuss creating individual player development plans um, based on the amount of stakeholders that are involved in that process, whether it be agents, whether it be parents of, of young of young uh, athletes, whether that be a medical team, sports science team, obviously the, the technical coaching team, so how that's pulled together uh, at the Giants. Secondly, looking at the integration of the field and medical staff. And then last but not least, using technology to inform decisions um, around player health through the season. So screening, uh, mitigating injury risk, recovery based on the amount of travel, um, etc., etc. So really interesting chat with Jeff and great to get someone on again from the world of baseball. So I'm sure you'll really enjoy this episode. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Hawking Dynamics, the world's first wireless force plate testing system. So the Hawking Dynamics system is built around what coaches want so they can test in the real world and not just in the lab. So you're able to capture reliable data on all athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor progress from their cloud-based system from anywhere in the world. So as I've mentioned, the Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, which means they're portable, and they're also trusted by teams at a number of different levels in a number of different sports. So integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring system uh, could not be easier and more affordable. So if you want to get to know a little bit more about Hawking Dynamics or actually see their plates in action, Head over to the website, uh, which is hawkingdynamics.com, um, which you can do, and you can also schedule a demo, and follow them on Twitter at Hawking Dynamics. This episode of the Pace Performance Podcast is also sponsored by iMeasureU, who are a world-leading inertial sensor and software platform which is able to quantify body movement and workload metrics in the field. So iMeasureU is used by leading biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field. So iMeasureU recently released IMU Step, which is a dual sensor and app solution for lower limb load monitoring and has been used successfully by practitioners to optimize return to play for running base sports predominantly. So unlike GPS, IMU Step focuses on lower limb musculoskeletal load and works via two really small synchronized high frequency tibial worn sensors. And these sensors can quantify three dimensional force of every step an athlete takes, precise left and right limb load asymmetry and cumulative bone load. So iMeasureU was founded by leading biomechanist Dr. Tor Bazir and was acquired by Vicon last year in 2017. So iMeasureU works with military, Olympic, pro and collegiate coaches and counts the Australian Institute of Sport, uh, Philadelphia 76ers and Harvard University as some of their clients. So if you'd like to get to know a little bit more about iMeasureU, head over to the website which is iMeasureU.com or follow them on Twitter at iMeasureU. So without further ado, over to the episode with Jeff Head. Thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. So this evening, I am absolutely delighted to welcome Jeff Head, who is the Assistant Director of Player Development at the San Francisco Giants, not to be confused with the New York Giants, because that would be horrendously uh, embarrassing. So welcome to the podcast, mate. Absolutely. Thank you, Robert. I appreciate you having me on. Nah, thanks for giving it your time. So anyone that doesn't know who you are, would you mind giving us a little bit of a background on yourself, maybe starting with education, what you've done pre-Giants, and what you're currently doing at the Giants? Yeah, absolutely. So 
I did my undergrad at Northern Arizona University and then my master's at Arizona School of Health Sciences and did my master's degree in kinesiology, exercise physiology. And from there, went into starting out on an internship as a strength and conditioning coach at an off-season performance center named the Fisher Institute. And at the Fisher Institute, that's really where I got exposed to Major League Baseball. They were training a variety of Major League Baseball players in the off-seasons, getting them prepared to go back to their clubs for the regular season. They also had NFL players and a, a wide variety of sports. So it was really a crash course into applying the knowledge that I had learned in in my textbooks in school to figuring out how to make that actionable with, you know, high performing athletes and really had an awesome opportunity there to learn in just a fun environment. And we were training about 10 of the San Francisco Giants players in the off season at the time. And the Giants called over looking for a strength and conditioning coach. My boss fortunately recommended me. And it was just an outstanding opportunity that I couldn't pass up. And basically took an interview for uh, the San Francisco Giants for a, just an entry-level rookie league strength and conditioning coach role and did well enough in the interview to get the job. And kind of funny side story there, uh, I speak Spanish fluently, but kind of neglected to put that on my resume. And little did I know when I'd walk in the doors the first day that about 50% of the population spoke Spanish. So they were delighted that uh, I also kind of had the bilingual aspect of um really reaching the cultural side of professional baseball and really being able to connect with the players. And so I think that really helped kind of keep me around for a little bit until I could get my feet on the ground and understand a little bit more about the game and understand how to be an effective strength and conditioning coach. And so that was just kind of a side skill and benefit that really helped me out with the Giants. But I spent seven years as the strength and conditioning coordinator for the San Francisco Giants. I then spent three years as the uh, major league sports scientist. And then this last year, I transitioned into my new role, which is assistant director of player development. So all in total, I've been with the San Francisco Giants for 11 years now. I'm getting ready to start my 12th year uh, coming in January. Nice. So that SNC coordinator, what was that? Was that looking after the kind of first, the senior, the senior team, the first team? That was looking at after our seven minor league affiliates. So okay. really basically after we would draft players into the organization, it would be the strength and conditioning development from those players once they've reached our Dominican Republic or rookie league teams in their transition up through the minor league system to AAA and um, eventually getting them up uh, to the major league team. And um, that was really just a, a great opportunity to – um, developed with at the time, which it's really funny. It, it seems, seems strange to people, but at the time in 2008, uh, my first year as the rookie league strength and conditioning coach, I was the first ever uh, minor league strength and conditioning coach for the San Francisco giants. And at the end of that year, I became a uh, strength and conditioning coordinator and we had zero strength and conditioning staff at each affiliate at the time. We didn't have weight room facilities at any of our minor league affiliates. And so it was really just an awesome opportunity to learn management on the fly, learn how to um, write up job proposals to bring in qualified strength and conditioning staff to make an, a positive impact for players at each minor league affiliate, write up proposals for building weight rooms. And so it's just kind of an awesome opportunity to have a blank slate and really just like build sandcastles basically of, of the strength and conditioning world for the Giants. It was just all pretty new and fresh and really not that long ago. You'd think that it's, you know, the game's been around for over a hundred years and you'd think that strength and conditioning would have had a lot longer um, history with the Giants, but it, it really was in its infant stages when I came in, but it just, it, it created a great opportunity to learn a lot on the fly. There's not many people, not many people out there who will have that opportunity to have that blank slate. So, but it was, I bet it was cool. And looking back, I bet it was a great um, education for you as well going through that such, you know, so, so early in your career? Yeah, I think I learned a tremendous amount really fast and was just given an awesome opportunity to, to really build um, from the ground up and see what worked and see what didn't work. And um, so, yeah, I really, I really 
was happy to have that opportunity. I, I learned a lot about leadership and looking back, you know, on my career just as a young manager in that role. I think I would have spent a lot more time uh, just in investing and developing young staff. And um, but it's created a great opportunity in my new role to really make sure that I have time to to pour into the staff and help them develop and grow and reach their career aspirations now. Mm-hmm. Let's, have, let's have a little chat about that because that's something that interests me. So how many staff are you looking at? Are you kind of over at the minute? Yeah, I have directly 27 uh, staff now. Jeez. So yeah, wow. I started, started with just me. And uh, now there's <laughs> there's 20, 27 of us as a, you know, sports medicine staff that I directly oversee, but also as the assistant director of player development, I now am working directly with the field staff as well. And so the staff is quite large. There's about 85 of us in total, but I'm directly responsible to oversee uh, 27 of them. And just to see that growth and see the diversity of our staff and the progression of sports medicine and in the game of baseball in the last decade, has just been an awesome uh, awesome to watch and awesome to be a part of. Mm-hmm. So in terms of your education as a manager, education as a, a senior member of staff, what is, is, is there, has there been any or has it just been kind of developed on the job? No, there has been some really great opportunities to that the Giants have poured into me to be able to go and become a better manager. Um, you know, they sent me to the Leaders and Performance Summits and you know really get to be around like intelligent minds and just people who have um, really had a lot of success in management roles and you know i've really appreciated those opportunities but then you know on the fly training you know having good managers in front of me and seeing how they handle scenarios seeing how they handle stress you know winning and losing when injuries occur just seeing how they would respond in those environments and then also you know having maybe some managers that didn't respond as well in those environments and really allowed me to mold myself into who I wanted to be as a manager and how I wanted to be able to handle situations. And, you know, it's, it's still an evolving process to say that I'm a great manager. um, I I don't think that I would say that I am. I would say that I am continuously learning, but I'm very hungry to be a great manager. And I, I really understand the impact that I can make on young professionals careers and also really understand that, you know, if I, heavily invest in them and their careers, the success of all of us as a team drastically goes up. You know, we're only as good as those of us around us. So, you know, that really helps us and really helps me stay focused on just daily. How am I going to approach each one of my staff members to motivate him and empower him and maximize his ability to impact our club? Mm -hmm. So the first thing I wanted to chat about, um, Kind of in depth was creating individual physical development plans for players. However, one thing I want to touch on and, and kind of bring this back to the staff element: Do you actively plan and discuss careers with your staff as well, even if that doesn't necessarily, even if that creates a conversation that moves away from potentially being at the Giants? Yeah, um, I definitely want to know every one of our staff's career goals and everyone's slightly different, but a lot of them have, you know, similar aspirations. And really for me, it's about giving them the the belief and the trust that, you know, any opportunity, even if it's away from the giants that presents itself for them to move their career forward, if they've put in the work and they've shown, you know, that they've developed and are ready to, to take that jump into a higher role. I absolutely am thrilled to support that, to make recommendations on their behalf and continue to support their development. There's really only so many opportunities to move up in this game. There's 30 teams and usually only one or two positions at the very highest level for what they want to get to with each team. So for me, you know, I think I've always shown that support to the staff of if they really show, you know, dedication and determination to want to you know, make an impact in our club. And then there's an opportunity elsewhere for advancement that, you know, absolutely we're going to do everything we can to help them progress just as we would a player, you know, and sometimes it's the way it is with players as well. There's really only 25 spots at the major league club and we have about 280 plus players in our organization. 
and you're trying to do everything you can to maximize their ability as well. And that might mean, you know, promotion to the major league club for us or promotion through trade where we can maximize, you know, their impact on the organization by giving them an opportunity at another club and bring in some key pieces to our major league team that can help us succeed. So it's really all, all kind of the same for us and what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. So going back to my original point in, in creating the individual physical development plans for players, how do you go about that? What's the process that you go through in terms of identifying, like you say, where their goals are, kind of short-term, medium-term, long-term, but then having your input, there's obviously multiple stakeholders here. There's They've got obviously the, the athlete themselves from a medical perspective, from a, a field coach perspective, there's maybe some representative of that player, maybe an agent or whoever who may be also a stakeholder. So there's plenty of people who are going to have input on where they think this player, this athlete needs to be. So how do you, how do you manage that from a from your kind of job description? Yeah, absolutely. There's many stakeholders, but really for the Giants, it's about having a system that we can rely on that's been tested over time objectively and subjectively for how do we onboard a player once they become a San Francisco giant and how can we all work together collaboratively to create a player plan that can evolve, you know, can be quick to adapt when it needs to adapt, but will ultimately maximize that player's ability to make an impact either at the major league organization or through trade. And really it starts with a great scouting process. So we have amateur scouts that are, you know, worldwide and they're across the country constantly just working and looking for players that, you know, are talented, but also fit the the type of player that we're looking to have at the San Francisco Giants organization. And then also worldwide, you know, Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico and Venezuela and Curaçao and all of those places, you know, trying to, identify talent objectively and subjectively, and then having a really good relationship with that scouting staff that's working really hard to express to them what we're looking for, because that's ever evolving as well, what type of player that we would like for them to identify for us, having a systematic reporting structure that has easily digestible reports on each one of those players that the staff, you know, inside the Giants house that's not out scouting, you know, like you mentioned, we have skill coaches, we have managers, we have the front office, we have analytics, we have mental performance, we have sports medicine. Um, All of those different uh, facets of our organization are really interested in, you know, looking at those scouting reports and, and understanding who the player is before they even step foot in the doors. You know, we have extensive medical backgrounds on them. Our mental skills have done, you know, assessments on understanding their mental side of the game and how they approach the game. Um, you know, then also working with that player's agent, as you talked about, um, and understanding, you know, what is their goals from that you know, that agent's perspective and how we can continue to ensure them and have great relationships with them that once they become a giant, they're in great hands and that we will do everything we can to maximize their potential from from his aspect as a, as a stakeholder as well. And so really, it's just it's a multifaceted approach of really good collaboration, really good communication. But if you have a system in place, you know, that you can follow a process step by step of good communication of objective and subjective data, how to take that communication and then um, put it into an actionable plan for the player. But as you said, the ultimate stakeholder really is the player. So really it always becomes centered back around the player and you should put together an outstanding plan. Everybody should be on the same page. So the field coach, uh, the medical staff, the mental skills coach should all be able to come up to that player and communicate a similar game plan and that will ultimately lead to trust and buy-in from that player that hey everybody with the giants is on the same page everybody has a great understanding of who i am where i came from and how to help get me to my ultimate goals but the best thing that you can then do when you you know put that all together for a new player with the giants is sit down with him and just ask one really powerful question and for us that question is how can we serve you now that you're a san francisco giant and once you ask that to a, to a player, their walls just come down, you know, any, any fears or reservations about being in a new environment and, you know, 
really you see them just shed away because if you ultimately make it about them and you say, how can we serve you? Even though we've had a tremendous amount of you know years and experience and success um, in the game, you know, especially in the last decade with the Giants, it really assures the player that we are ultimately there for them and their impact and or their input and their feedback into what they want to achieve and what makes their body tick um, really goes a long way to just have a great relationship from the ground up and you know you just have immediate player buy into the culture and they want to work hard for you and they know ultimately that everything is is there for them and to support them to make you know make their dreams a reality so when that player enters the so signs the contract what's the process from you from a, um, a pl- physical player development point of view for you and your staff to get to know where that player is at so then that kind of physical, more physical development uh, plan can be structured? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's quite a process, really. Um, once a player basically steps foot uh, on the San Francisco Giants complex for the first time, there's a four-day physical assessment process. And that really has been building up for quite a while because as I said, we've got a tremendous amount of information about that player's career before he was a giant, you know, injury, history, strengths, you know, what makes them really successful athlete. And that is already a part of this assessment package that we put together over a four day period. And once they come into the doors, basically it's going to be assessing, you know, everything from having our internal medicine doctors and, and, orthopedists take a look at them and just make sure everything checks off from, uh, you know, a health standpoint and then taking them through the gauntlet with strength and conditioning. Really, you know, we're doing everything from anthropometric measurements of, you know, height, weight, body fat, measuring wrist circumference, ankle circumference, uh, you know, wingspan to looking at their, you know, mobility and stability, you know, look, doing a full assessment of how this athlete moves through space and time and how can he control that movement to uh, looking at, you know, performance measurements of, you know, upper body strength, lower body strength, you know, force production, whether that's, you know, vertically or horizontally. Um, And then um, moving them on over into our, you know, physical therapists, they're actively looking at, you know, for how do this, how does this player's uh, range of motion check off, you know, how does their hip range of motion, ankle range of motion, shoulder range of motion, you know, elbow range of motion, you know, has the scapula functioning, you know, in an overhead throwing, you know, sport, you know, the functioning and the functional movement of the scapula is just a really important marker to, you know, moving over to our athletic trainers, going through full assessments with them and um, basically putting all of that together in a functional spreadsheet that really can highlight this player's strengths and weaknesses and understand, you know, where we can really build out a, an action plan that can help maximize their areas that we can help raise up for them, you know, based off of those that assessment process. But then it's really taking that plan from the physical process and sitting down with our skill coaches to say, you know, what are their on-field strengths and weaknesses? What are the things that we all saw together? How do we put that into one page where Everybody that wants to understand this athlete from head to toe on the field and off the field uh, could have access to so that we're all on in tune with what's the best plan to help this player? How do we need to impact him on the field and off the field to maximize his performance, but also protect him uh, in health and then bring that plan to a player and say, hey, here's what we've put together for you. Here's the, you know, the assessments that we've done here's how we think we can help you. What's your thoughts on this? And then where can we go moving forward from here? So there's obviously a horrendous amount of data there. How do, how was that visualized for not just the player or the, or the field staff, but for you guys to really hone in on what is actually, what's jumping out of you? Because there's a lot of stuff going on there. Yeah, really for us, we've just have a system where we've coded things, you know, green, yellow, red. And, you know, green for us means, hey, he's outstanding in this area. He really excels. That's probably an area that, you know, if you 
cut up his player uh, progression plan, his long-term development plan as a giant. Uh, probably doesn't need to be spending the most amount of time in that area. You want to maintain it as a strength. You don't want to allow a strength to become average or become a weakness, but you know, is there more valuable time that we could spend on an area that might be, you know, in the red that if we can raise that up to at least an average level will either really help, you know, overall in his performance or his health and keeping him on the field so that he can perform. So really just simplifying all of that data into, you know, one page sheet that, you know, includes all areas, analytics, field staff, medical to say, Hey, what jumps off the page here? And when we're trying to cut up, you know, a pie, how much, you know, how big a piece of the pie do we want to spend in in this area? But like I said in the beginning, that plan should be easily adaptable because, you know, you have a player anywhere from 16 all the way up to 40 years old. And you also have many things that happen. You could have position changes, you could have significant injuries, you could have, you know, different, different scenarios that need that plan to be quickly adaptable. And, you know, on the spectrum of a player's career from, you know, 16 to 40 years old, you know, at one point at 16 years old, you might need to spend a big piece of time and, you know, physical development and resiliency. And, you know, all that could come full circle. They could come back to 40 years old where they've mastered the on-field skill so much and their routine is so refined with on-field skill work that they really know what they need to do and they you know, become so efficient in that area that they may need to regress back to, you know, where they were when they're 16 in terms of spending a lot more time on physical development again, because the routine on the field has just become so dialed in that it's minimal amount of work that they need to do to prepare to be ready for a game. So maybe that, that player plan adapts full circle, you know, later on in their career to refocus in on an area that, you know, becomes a need again. Mm-hmm. Is there anything in that, in that four day, time frame that has been removed or been recently added because of lack of value or I don't know new research or something that one of your team has thought would be more appropriate is anything that's changed in that four-day time frame yeah absolutely well when anytime that we get ready to include an assessment and this you know again my 11th year with the Giants um, has kind of stood the test of time is you really want to sit down as a staff and I'll be on the same page with an assessment you're going to do. Make sure that the research is sound on it, that there's good value to it, that it can be applied across you know, a large group of players and that the data is actionable and that you're seeing some good positive changes from implementing that assessment. And, you know, for us over time, I would say, you know, the majority of the test, you know, because we have a good process of inclusion for an assessment to make sure that it is, you know, of good value and, you know, good validity to implement, uh, the good majority have stood the test of time. However, I think we've made tweaks to some. So for example, you know, we've done the functional movement screen, you know, on the, on the strength and conditioning side. And, and we did that for a good number of years, but, you know, over the course of time, you know, I think there were really some good opportunities to evolve the FMS into a little bit more baseball specific movements where we now have a nice blend of the FMS, but also have added in some more rotational components to understand how different segments of the body rotate because baseball, there's obviously a a lot of rotation, you know, in the transverse plane that's happening. And so I would say that the majority of our tests, you know, stood the test of time, but we're always tweaking them and adapting them to really fit our sport and make sure that the information that we're getting out of them really applies to baseball specifically. Um, the great thing about this, though, is you know having tests that are are proven and and have worked for a long period of time. Now we also have a ton of longitudinal data, and we can look now back. 10 years, you know, with our analytics department and say, okay, over the last decade, you know, of all of these different assessments that we've done on our athletes, you know, what stands out that separates a major league player or a potential major league player from the rest of the group in these assessments? And then are there some key performance indicators or KPIs that stand out from that data set 
you know, and it's a very large data set that we can say, hey, when we see this or this, we know that that really helps that player have more potential to succeed. And then how can we apply that either again, going back to the scouts or how can we apply that again to, you know, um, identifying players a little bit more quickly that might have more opportunity to succeed or how do we maximize and raise the level of those that aren't showing some of those, you know, performance indicators and how do we really put that into a plan of action, you know, in their training to help raise the level of those areas so that every player has the chance to maximize their ability and every player has the best chance possible to reach the major league level. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Jeff. Hope you're enjoying, enjoying part one. So over in part two, we discuss more around using technology to inform decision making uh, around ensuring player health throughout the in-season, whether that be through screening, through uh, recovery, and the nice-to-haves versus the needs-to-haves, need-to-haves when it comes to sports technology to, um, to inform decision making. But just before we do get into part two, I want to say a big thanks to Fatigue Science for sponsoring this episode today. So Fatigue Science have exclusive access of the SAFT model, which is an algorithm developed by the US Army. And if you listen to my episode with Ian Dunican, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. So the SAFT model analyzes uh, a number of different factors in your sleep history to predict your fatigue for the day ahead. So the alertness score indicates fatigue predicted effects on your reaction time, your lapse index, your mental output, all, all things that are obviously essential for the performance that you're gonna undertake that day. So as you can tell, it is much more than a sleep tracking device. However, it is a sleep tracking device, but not only does it track sleep, um, it considers the time you went to sleep, how well you slept, how much sleep debt you have, and even your local sunrise and sunset times. So a really impressive bit of kit is the ready band from Fatigue Science. So if you are interested in getting to know a little bit more about Fatigue Science, head over to their website, uh, fatiguescience.com, but also follow them on Twitter at Fatigue Science. So also sponsoring today's podcast is St. Mary's University. So St. Mary's is internationally renowned as a leader in strength and condition education, and it was the first UK institution to offer an undergraduate degree in strength and conditioning. And its master's program, which I have been through personally and would highly recommend, was the first part-time uh, distance learning strength and conditioning course in the UK. And it's the emphasis on the development of coaching skills and relevance of theory to practice, which makes St. Mary's stand out from the other courses that are out there. So both uh, undergraduate and postgraduate courses are delivered in the purpose-built state-of-the-art performance education centre and anyone that's been to St Mary's will know what a fantastic uh, facility that is and is taught by staff that are highly experienced coaches and expert sports scientists. And one thing that students are really on the lookout for now is universities links with uh, professional sport and that's definitely something that St Mary's has with their links with multiple football clubs across London in Chelsea, Crystal Palace, Fulham, but also uh, London Irish in rugby and Sutton Tennis Academy. They also embed students within the Royal Ballet Company and Royal Ballet, Royal Ballet School in London. And this obviously helps students top saying uh, necessary coaching experience to maximize their chances of getting employment post graduation. So in addition to the strength and conditioning courses, they offer both undergraduate and postgraduate programs in physiology and sports rehab. But if you're interested in getting to know more about the course at St. Mary's, make sure you visit their website, uh, which is stmarys.ac.uk forward slash courses. With the development of uh, our quick and rapid development of technology, sports technology over the last five, ten years, is there anything that any bits of tech that are helping you do things that you weren't able to do maybe uh, at the start of your tenure at the Giants that's become a real solid aspect of this of this kind of profiling of, of your athletes? Yeah, so for us, you know, one of the things that really came about, you know, in the last decade that's really helped is just good good data platforms to companies that have come forward where, you know, they've come up with, you know, really good um, coding system where you can pull in data from all different areas and 
have it spun up and automatically create reports or create visuals or create graphs for you on players. And that data just really comes to life. So just having a good uh, platform where you can, you know, implement or input all of your different information into one central place for the organization to be able to access that alone, you know, instead of having it on a whole bunch of different Excel spreadsheets and everybody's just trying to mix and match and send emails all around of, you know, different, different aspects of the player, really just having a central hub to aggregate that data and then create meaningful visuals that can be shared with the player, meaningful reports that can be shared. Um, it was really a great jump forward. Um, you know, along with that, you know, as the sports scientist for three years, there was definitely a lot of big technology that's come along that really helps us understand what's going on with the athlete. And, you know, being in San Francisco, we're in, we're in Silicon Valley, which really is the hub, uh, in, in the United States of, of technology. And a lot of, uh, biomedical technology has come out of the Silicon Valley area. So I really had an awesome opportunity to be in a great location to meet with a lot of powerful companies. And, you know, from that, we've been able to leverage technology to help us gain more subjective or sorry, more objective data to match with the subjective uh, feedback that we've always had in baseball. And, you know, a lot of those, I guess, probably one of the most powerful ones I'd say over the last few years is just the ability to measure workload. And, you know, for us, we use Zephyr, which I guess is a comparable system to like a catapult, but Zephyr for us is really a great way to monitor a player's uh, physiological and mechanical workload in one device. And um, that has been a really powerful tool for us because I think workload management um, is just a tremendous, tremendous area in the game of baseball to understand and really can lead to developing resiliency, but also keeping players healthy and on the field. So, you know, there's definitely a wealth of technologies that have come about in the last decade that we can leverage and utilize to collect data. But really, ultimately, it's again to take that data and bring it back to the player and show them how it can help them in maximizing their performance, but also staying healthy and having more longevity in their career. And uh, so we definitely embrace technology and we utilize a lot of different technologies to help um, collect data and understand it better. Is Zephyr a device that's worn between the scapula? No, so Zephyr, is, it can be. They they recently came out with a shirt that it could be worn between the scapula, but this one is uh, usually centered in the chest if you wear a shirt or they have a chest strap that kind of fits underneath the armpit. Yeah, yeah I'm just going to say, what kind of effect does that have on the, on the guys when they're in the field? Obviously, a lot of throwing going on, so I just wondered that, but that's cool. Um, so in terms of the companies that you have either come across or are using to aggregate all this all this data and visualize it and bring in different aspects and different people within the organization, are they sports technology companies or are they bigger tech companies that are providing a solution for you when you just happen to be in sport? The vast majority of them are sports technology companies, biomedical technology companies that, you know, found a great practical application for the general population or inpatient and hospital and then said, hey, how can we translate this onto sport? And so those companies evolved to transition their product into a sports-based product. And really, it's kind of because it's happened so quickly over the last decade, it's kind of a you scratch our back, we'll scratch your back environment in the sense of these companies understand that they have a product that can really make an impact at the sporting level. And basically, you know, working with them to say, hey, you know, this is where your product stands out, but we've been using it in the field now. Here's our feedback for how you can improve that product. It really helps them, you know, understand how to improve their product, but also it really helps us because, you know, they want to do that. They have a, a high investment in wanting to make the product better and they're really relying on our feedback to do so. So it's been a good relationship with most of the technology companies that we work with because, you know, they're hungry to improve their product uh, and we're hungry to have it improved. So, um, 
Yeah, but I'd say the vast majority are, are sporting based pro- sporting based companies. Mm-hmm. No, I just wondered, given your location, like you mentioned, I wonder if there'd been any kind of non-sporting tech that got involved because obviously your location. But oh, that's cool, mate. Um, so, just last point I wanted to to bring up with you, and that was your crazy in season when it does come around. So, one of the guys at the um, at the Blue Jays, an English guy, uh, presented at the UKCA this year and kind of highlighted the the schedule and the, the awful amount of games that that go on during that in season. I just wanted to tap into your um, practices in terms of keeping players fit and healthy during that crazy period. Um, so, I just want to take us through a bit of a, uh, a bit of an overview of of your kind of philosophy around keeping players healthy. And then we'll kind of dive into a little bit more detail on a, on a few different aspects. Yeah, so I think that's been a really fascinating uh, uh, progression in the game of baseball um, because, really, again, as you said, we have an, an insane schedule. You know, we play at the major league level 162 you know, games that you're trying to win and you're trying to play and perform at a very high level in about 180 days. And that doesn't include spring training. That doesn't include playoffs. And, you know, just to give you like a living example, you know, I remember just a couple of years ago, you know, we're in the middle of playing our, I think it was our 10th road game in a row in, in 10 days. And we're out in New York and uh, we're playing the Mets and, you know, they wanted to turn it into an, an ESPN night game. You know, it was a game that was gaining a lot of attention. So instead of doing a, a day game where we would have time after the game was over to travel back to San Francisco and get a little bit more rest, they moved the game to night. And we basically played a night game in New York. The game went long. We finished around you know 11 p.m., uh, there's a delay at the airport. We left the airport, you know, around 1.30 or 2 a.m. New York time, flew across the country back to San Francisco, arrived to our field where our cars were at about 5.30 or 6 a.m. We drove back to our homes. We slept for a little bit. We came back to the field that night and had to play a 7 p.m. game, which we needed to win against the Washington Nationals. And it's a high level, high competition game that you're trying to win. And you do that over and over and over again, you know, with very few off days. And so I guess that's just a really bright living example of what these players are going through during the season. So the idea of how do you manage that environment effectively to help keep them performing at a high level, but then also to keep them healthy is just, it is the question. And it's the question that a lot of different teams are trying to ask and you know everybody kind of has their spin on how to go about it but really for me I've I've learned through trial and error you know for a few years it was all about recovery and as a sports scientist my key role was how do we recover these players effectively and efficiently so that they can keep performing but I think what happened was we slammed the needle so far to recovery that we forgot that also during a long season it's remains a tremendous amount about resiliency too. the team that stays strongest, the longest wins. And so how do you blend in a balance of progressively building up workload, maintaining that workload through the season to keep them resilient keep them in shape and physically fit to perform, but then also, you know, building in key recoveries and recovery modalities and techniques and strategies through, you know, maybe it's the efficiency of your practice schedule. Maybe it's, you know, having some good technology to help with recovery. Maybe it's just the basics of life to begin with, which is feeding them really well, getting them to hydrate really well and getting them to sleep really well and educating them in those areas. Um, Really, it's, I think, a blend between um, resiliency and keeping them physically fit, balancing that workload so there's not a lot of acute workload spikes, you know, as much as you can protect them from, and then also having a really good recovery plan in there. Um, from a broad stroke recovery to, you know, more uh, finite types of recovery interventions that you can do for the players. So when does the work actually get done? Obviously, that that scenario that you've just mentioned doesn't happen every single night, but I'm guessing that happens a lot. So when when does the work actually get done? Yeah, absolutely. So there's practice pretty much every day still. And really, let's say, 
you know, the majority of your games happen around 7 p.m. at night. Really, you're going to have players showing up around, you know, 2 p.m. to come in and do their practice routines and get themselves prepared for a 7 p.m. night game. And, you know, that can involve some, you know, mobility, some soft tissue work, some treatments in the training room to watching video and getting prepared for the team that you're going to play that night to going out on the field and doing some skill work to stay sharp in your skill, uh, getting fed well, and then coming in and recovering a little bit and getting ready to go and perform at the game. So really um, it's happening on a daily basis and it's happening pretty close to, to game time. And in the off season, so not counting the 180 days and the, and, and camps and things, what do you get? Do you get access to guys in the off season or not? Yeah, so it depends. If they're a forty-man player, which basically means they're on the major league roster of the twenty-five main players plus fifteen reserves, if you will, for the forty-man roster, based on the collective bargaining agreement with Major League Baseball, really during the off season, if you want to have any kind of structured training camps or things to help prepare them physically, you have to go through the commissioner's office and first and invite those players through the commissioner's office. And really they only give you access to them for about a week. And um, you get an opportunity to work with them and get eyes on them and help them out for about a week. But really the rest of their off season is on their own. And, you know, they can disperse to different countries. They could go back if they're, you know, Latin American, they could go back to the Dominican Republic or Venezuela or Puerto Rico. Um, or, you know, if they're U.S. based, they can go back to, you know, wherever they, they live during the offseason to train. And so really there you have to have great communication with the player and really, you know, trust that they're going to be preparing themselves to come into spring training ready to go. And most of those guys at that point in their career really have a great understanding, especially if you did your job with the younger players in the development phase of getting them to, you know, take care of themselves and prepare and understanding what it takes to prepare for such a grueling season. The younger players, the non-40-man players, you really do have a lot more opportunity to be hands-on with them during the offseason. And we have tremendous support from the Giants organization for you know designing strength and conditioning and performance-based camps uh, throughout the offseason where we can bring these players in and really dive deep with them on all aspects of taking care of their body, all aspects of preparing themselves for these really long seasons to come. A whole lot of education occurs and just basically a whole lot of, you know, competing and having fun, you know, to help create good team chemistry between the guys at a young age and getting them to really understand each other and like each other at a young age all occurs through these off seasons to prepare them for, you know, that, that really long season coming up. Mm-hmm. So as we discussed beforehand, the players and the staff don't necessarily live full-time in the city that their team is is based. So how does that work in the off season with these guys that aren't in the 40? Are they based in San Francisco or are you doing a lot of remote programming for these guys? Yeah, they're also based all over, all over the world. And really you do a lot of during the the long season, you really do a lot of planning and prepping towards the end for the off season and developing, you know, player plans where again, like as I said, a player plan should be ever evolving and ever adapting. You can learn a lot about a player through one of these long seasons and really you prepare a plan, but then at the end of the season, just again, having constant communication and buy-in about a player-centered approach, you bring that player in with the skill coaches, the medical staff, and you say, hey, what, what are your goals based off of what you learned this season, what your body went through this season? What are your goals this off season? What would you like to improve on? And then how can we help adjust and facilitate a program that we've built out for you this winter to help you hit and maximize those goals. And so, again, it always comes back to the player and, you know, keeping them and their career at the forefront of all of it. But, you know, we build massive, massive programs for these players, you know, build in some recovery after the long season for them to get away and unplug mentally and physically, but then have a a process of systematically rebuilding a foundation um, and then building up their sport specificity throughout the off season, so that once they do report back to spring training in February or March, they're ready to hit the ground running and, and just keep on going. So do you use any sort of, I suppose you do, well, I guess you do, any sort of tech to actually manage these guys while they're away? Or is it, I guess it's not Excel, Excel and Dropbox? 
Yeah, absolutely. No, we do. And that's been, you know, just a great advancement in technology is, you know, we basically have apps set up through every one of their phones where they can click their app and their player profile pulls up and we can directly upload videos that might pertain specifically to his training and his goals for that off season. And he can access and watch those videos to having throwing programs on there that they can access to having, you know, every one of their strength and conditioning programs, their, you know, agility work, their speed work, their mobility work, their lifting programs all on the fly, basically through the click of an app. And um, that really helps us, you know, have good communication with the players in terms of, you know, all the help is there that they need, but also there's really, and I, you know, I really just want to say this also, there's, there's really good off season performance centers that these players can, can go and train at. And I always encourage that to our players. They spend a whole lot of time with us during the season. And for me, there's nothing like competing in terms of training and preparing yourself for the next season. So for me to just say, Hey, we have a great program. We're really smart at what we do. We want you to make sure that you're following this to a T so you just go to, you know, a local gym and, and train on your own and, and follow this to the T versus finding a great facility in the off season where there's going to be a lot of other elite athletes training and all with a hungry mindset and all wanting to be there and preparing their bodies to get ready for the next season. I, absolutely. I would motivate them and encourage them to take that opportunity as long as there's, you know, just great communication from that player, from that player's off-season trainer and us to just say, hey, these are the things that we think are really important for him to accomplish this off-season, you know, and have trust in what, you know, that center is trying to do for him as well and their ability to help him out during the off-season to all, you know, work together again and communicate together again um, to prepare this player for the season. So there's definitely many outlets of, you know, helping players get ready. And ultimately, too, if, if they feel supported that you know they have places that they love to go and train in the winter and they see that the giants support that and are willing to work with those places that ultimately leads to just a lot more buy-in and trust and a great culture because they want to come back and be with you and be like man they, they support me in everything that i do and they're working hard to communicate even in the off season um, with the guys that i train with to help me out and so i think you know you should just be open-minded to to all of those different types of scenarios in the off season that occur mm-hmm Cool. It always fascinates me speaking to the uh, guys in baseball because there's so many moving parts. It's, um, I mean, people complain, up, there's plenty to complain about anywhere, but not that you are complaining, but there's plenty, so much going on. There's so much to manage in terms of players being different parts of the country, different parts of the world, not being able to get your hands on them at certain times of the year. Yeah, absolutely crazy. But I really appreciate you um you're giving us your insight into what goes on the Giants and um, obviously your expertise and, and your journey. But just before I let you go, where can where can people keep up to date with what you've got going on? Are you a social media guy? Are you a, a Twitter guy, Instagram? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my favorite platform that I use is LinkedIn. Yeah. Uh, I don't really use a whole lot of social media um, in terms of like Twitter or Facebook or any of those things, but I really am pretty active on LinkedIn and you could just find me at Jeff head. Uh, I spell my name kind of goofily for the United States. It's spelled G E O F F. Um, and last name head H E A D. But, um, I really try to be active in terms of posting different types of research articles or things that kind of jump out to me as, um, as impactful. And also, you know, if people send me messages on LinkedIn, I really do my best to get them feedback or get them my contact phone number, or email to stay in touch. Because really, it's that's where I learn the most is through other bright professionals in the industry that are willing to share and really willing to kind of collaborate back and forth on things that might be working for them um, and things that might be working for us, things that we struggle with. So absolutely, you guys could find me on, on LinkedIn. Cool. The G-E-O double F must be an English thing. I think we have that a little bit more over here and less of the J-E double F. Don't know. Yeah, that's absolutely. No, my mom is my mom is German based. My dad had a bit of English um, 
and his ancestry. So they really were fond of the the G E O double F spelling, and uh, <laughs> I get a lot of G offs and and, and goffs and, and all kinds of things, you know, here here in the states. But it's okay. You just roll with it. I love that kind of stuff. <laughs> getting people's names wrong or, or even getting people's um, place of work wrong can be um, embarrassing for all, <laughs> all involved. <laughs> yeah, no, well, no worries. Yeah, thanks a lot, mate. Really appreciate you uh, giving up your time and we'll no doubt keep in touch. And thanks again. Yeah, absolutely, Rob. I really appreciate you having me on and your podcast is awesome. I have a lot of support from from the Giants in terms of guys that listen to your podcast and really enjoy it. So I appreciate you putting this work out there to allow us opportunities to hear from a lot of other professionals in our field. You know, on the fly, we can listen to it on a drive into work in our car and, and really stay fed in, you know, key areas of sport performance. So thank you for, for all that you do with Pacey. You know, performance podcasts uh, really helps us stay in touch with everything going on outside of our walls as well. Thank you very much. The check's in the post. The check is definitely in the post. <laughs> no, no check, no check for this one. This this <laughs> one is just really, really an opportunity to to be involved in what you're doing. So um, you know, I, I, Thanks, I really man. appreciate the opportunity. Like I said, um, there is one thing you know that I, I also did want to add here is. Uh, you know, I, I know that you like to ask from time to time, you know, some powerful books that you know, oh, yes. you've read or, or things along those lines. And I'm not trying to feed you questions. It's your interview. But uh, <laughs> I like I like I like, I like that question. Yeah. So I've been kind of keeping a list. <laughs> I've been kind of just keeping a list of, you know, good books that other people are recommending. And, um, you know, there's been a few for me this year that have really made a big impact. And, and one of them is a book called Originals. It's by a man named Adam Grant. And it really, the, the subtitle of the book is How Nonconformist Change the World. And really, that book is just, has just been really, really awesome in my development of being just a good outside-the-box thinker, being comfortable in who I am in my own skin as, you know, just, a, just as a person. And um, so that book for me, Originals by Adam Grant, has been a really cool book. Um, I also really like the book Essentialism and that book Love is by Greg that. McCown. Yeah. Yeah. So Greg McCown and, and, and really Essentialism for me is, is, is awesome because there's just so much busyness in our lives these days. There's so many opportunities to be overwhelmed and getting back to focusing on what really is essential in your life really becomes, uh, vital in this sport and this job and how to really stay, you know, maximizing your impact through, you know, minimizing your commitments. And and so essentialism has really been great for me. Um, and then another the one that was great was extreme. Oh, go ahead. Go mate. Sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say the author of that, um, did a podcast with, uh, Tim Ferriss where he actually read yeah. one of the chapters out, and I think it was um, How to Say No Gracefully, something like that. Yes. And he read the chapter mm-hmm. himself, which was excellent. So if, if you not get any money and want to listen to a chapter of a book for free, jump on there because it's really, really interesting, um, especially with obviously the author reading it himself. So, yeah, another awesome. little resource for people. What was your third? What was your third, Jeff? Extreme Ownership. Uh, it's written by a couple of U.S. Navy SEALs, a guy named Leif Babin, and then another guy that has his podcast as well named Jocko Willink. And uh, really, Extreme Ownership is a great leadership and management book, um, talking about how to protect the team and how to you know take ownership for everything that occurs, whether it's good or bad. And so that was a great book, too. But I mean, there's so many good books. I'm not going to go down a long list, but I just love that question because it's really it's really fun to hear what other people on your podcast say and um, creates opportunities for us to check out other books and stay, you know, keep our knowledge growing. Absolutely. Well, thanks for that. Appreciate that. I um, I need to get in, back into the habit of actually asking people that question because it is interesting for people because people always love book recommendations. But thank you very much. And like I said before, we'll definitely keep in touch and hopefully um, grab a coffee slash beer next time in San Francisco. Yeah, that sounds great. Please reach out to me when you come out that way. I'd love to set that up and get to meet you in person. Sweet. Thanks a lot, mate. Appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you. 
Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the chat with Jeff. So it's great to get on someone from the world of baseball again. A really interesting world given how much they play and the intricacies of how they develop uh, their athletes. So big thanks to I Measure You, to Hawking Dynamics, to Fatigue Science and St Mary's University for sponsoring this episode today. Got some cool guests coming up over the next couple of weeks, so make sure you press subscribe on your chosen podcast player. And thank you again for your support, and I will speak to you next week.